right, we are back, and sadly the Euros have ended, albeit in spectacular fashion. So we break down the final between England and Italy and the interesting tactics Southgate used. Uh, We touch on the U.S.'s victory over Haiti in the Gold Cup, answer any listener questions, and Scrad leaves his personal touch on the episode at the very end. All right, boys, let's get after it. And welcome back to this week's episode of the 4-4 Brew Pod. I am Nick Skradsky, and I am joined by Mr. Patrick Harmon. How you doing today, Pat? Don't worry, everybody. Sam is still hosting. You Please continue listening. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> That's grumpy. <laughs> Sam, how you doing today, buddy? Uh, dude, that's the best intro I've ever heard. That was that was fantastic. I'm doing I'm doing so much better now. How are you doing, man? Hey, I can't complain. Bringing a little energy after the Italians won, just like I said they would. Here I we are. It. Oh yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. All right, so I guess <laughs> it's my turn to be the host now, huh? I'll toss it back your way. I'll pass the time. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, we like to we like to mix it up here on the four four brew pod. Throw some curveballs at you, but yeah, exactly as Nick said, it is uh, the first show after the Euro final, and, and and what a final it was. So much drama, both on and off the pitch. Of course, England uh, lose on penalties um, as the game finishes one one in regulation. Um, I mean, what a weekend! What a match, Patrick. Uh, I mean, how, how do you sum up what we what we had this weekend uh, uh, in, into a, a, a short period of words? I mean, it was a better final than I was expecting it to be, especially after England score so early on. I figured it would just be kind of like that Champions League final between Liverpool and Spurs where Liverpool score early and then just park it back and don't even bother attacking for the rest of the game. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was a great game to watch uh, and very disappointed that the Euros are over. Yeah, well, and and I'm glad you mentioned that too because I think we've talked about this on the on the podcast before. Just how often it seems in the modern era that we get finals that don't really, you know, live up to the billing, um, and so often they disappoint. But it seems that we did get a really good, uh, really good final here, uh, and you know we'll get to it later. But you know maybe maybe one of the best tournaments that we've had in, in a long time in, in a handful of years. Uh, Skratsky, as Patrick said, it started off with an early England goal from Luke Shaw, um, and what a goal it was. I mean, it, when you were watching it, what, what was kind of going through your head? Because I don't know about you, but when I saw that, I was like, oh, oh man, England might run away with this. I mean, they've already scored. Maybe they'll open up with it, but but ultimately it wasn't meant to be. But what, what were you thinking after that, that, that first goal from Shaw? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's not often where you see a game, especially one like this, like at such a high-strung final where a goal gets scored that early. And I'm not going to lie, immediately I saw that, and it, it was great, you know, because Harry Kane plays that beautiful through ball to Trippier, great cross across to Shaw, um, and, like, a great finish for Malouk Shaw, especially first time like that for a left back. Takes a lot of skill, a lot of composure. I was, I like you said, I sat there and I thought for a minute, like, shoot, we might see England run away, like, 4-0, 4-1 or something like this if they're scoring this early. Um, it really kind of put me on my heels, and... I got to say, too, it was really, really neat to see a full 
full Wembley Stadium, like a full mm. soccer crowd like that, just go absolutely nuts for something. That's something that I think the game's really been missing. And I think, especially in this tournament, we've really seen fans be back to full capacity, full energy and everything. And it, it was awesome. But yeah, you know, I thought for a while it, uh, England were going to run away with it, but clearly that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, it, it was a it was a special ending to, to really a special tournament and kind of, as you said, kind of a reintroduction to, to fans into the European game, which, which has been great to see. And, uh, you know, that Luke Shaw goal, it actually, you know, as a left back, he doesn't score a lot of goals, but it reminds me, and uh, Man United actually posted this on their Instagram page, um, it reminds me of a goal that he scored back in 2020 against Derby County. Uh, kind of similar off the bounce, a little further back, but he does kind of like to be in those positions where it's kind of just like a scrappy ball that bounces in, and then he kind of just has a rep. And it, it was a, it was a great finish. You got to give him credit. Um, and, and, and Patrick, after that, we we saw England really kind of not necessarily park the bus, but really go ultra defensive. I think ultimately at the end of the, at the end of the day, that Italy had about 63 percent of the possession. Um, to, to finish the day. Uh, I mean, how much criticism should, should Southgate get beyond the penalties, but just for kind of going so defensive after that first goal? I don't really think he should be subject to much criticism for going defensive. I mean, it's their first first final in 55 years uh, or something like that, or however, however, many, however many years it was, but... I mean, you are you always knew he was going to start off defensive right from like uh, the hour before kickoff, where you saw that he's gone with five at the back rather than his like kind of be kind of rocking with that either four at the back or even three at the back with the uh, fullbacks more getting up. Uh, so you always knew that they were going to try and bag an early goal, but you just didn't really think it would happen being playing against Italy. Uh, but yeah, I don't really think he should. I I, I don't think he kind of opened himself up to a lot of criticism for going defensive because every manager in his position would do the exact same thing. Uh, but, yeah, as kind of you said with the substitutions for, like, the penalties, like, later in extra time, I think he kind of – he'd probably be on the receiving end of his fair amount of criticism from that. But his – I don't think he'll get much for his defensive his defensive lineup. All right. In Skratsky, we see it wasn't until the the second half that that Italy equalized, um, and actually was, uh, you know, through this whole tournament, England actually did not concede a goal from open play, which is uh, a, a fascinating stat that I saw ESPN uh, uh, tweet out. Um, and and to to Pat's point, I mean, they were England was very defensive throughout the whole tournament, but I think you should also give this back line a lot of credit, wouldn't you agree? A hundred percent. I mean, it's an incredible feat to go through an international tournament like this without scoring goal from open play. I mean, especially with just some of the crazy types of goals we've seen from open play so far this year. And like you said, you've got to give credit to those guys in the back line because they were they've been incre- they were incredible the whole tournament. I mean, Harry Maguire was really impressive. I've always been pretty big on John Stones, and I thought he played fairly solid through the whole tournament. And then Kyle Walker, Trippier, and Luke Shaw as well, you know, just bombing up and down the pitch. I I think we have to give credit. They might have they may have lost the uh, tournament, but you have to give credit to those guys because they came out and put on a phenomenal defensive show. And anyone that, like, plays defense now or someone that's looking up, like, you should look at some of those guys because they show you, like, really just how to be a, kind of a textbook defender. It was 
it was a textbook performance, I'd say. Well, and I think, too, you mentioned both McGuire and Shaw, who, you know, I have a lot of familiar, familiarity with watching them uh, during their domestic season. And McGuire is a guy who's gotten a lot of stick, and I have been critical of him because uh, I think when you watch him for United, you see him kind of get caught in these positions. And I think this tournament was great in kind of showing that, oh, he, he actually is a really solid defender, but he just needs to be paired with another great central back, right? And I think, uh, you know, thinking beyond this, thinking about Man United, getting somebody like Varane could really help somebody like Maguire out in terms of showing the player that he actually is because I think we saw what Maguire actually is this tournament um, beyond just his fantastic penalty, which we'll get into later. But uh, uh, I think – and the same thing with Shaw, too. I mean, the, the running joke with him has been, um, you know, are you, are you watching now Jose Mourinho because he never wanted to pick him and he's just kind of revitalized his career after all those injuries. Um, um, but, Pat, as, as we move into the second half and we go into the 67th minute, uh, Italy get a corner, and off that corner, Benucci, kind of on cleanup duty, uh, scores the equalizer. Uh, once that goal went in, how did that kind of change your perspective on the match? Because I don't know about you, but for me, I was kind of like, okay, now Italy is on the front foot if they weren't already. The momentum was kind of going their way uh, as they were always the attacking side. Um, but but how did the game kind of change for you when, once that equalizer went in? Yeah, I mean, after Shaw scored in the second minute, I didn't think England were going to get another goal. Like, unless it unless it was a goal on penalties at the end of extra time. Uh, so once Italy equalized, I uh, you kind of feel just all of the energy from that, from, I guess, the home end of English fans just sucked out of the stadium where they're like, all right, we might be kind of screwed now. Now that like we've kind of woken up this beast, and and I mean you kind of bring it like you can kind of bring it back to Southgate and his substitutions. Like at before, like right before that corner, I was just kind of like like watching the game and just seeing like Declan Rice look really tired. Uh, Mason Mount was starting to get really tired. I mean, to no fault of these guys, they played almost every minute of the the goddamn tournament. Of course, they're going to be tired at the end of a brutally long season, but that would have been like the perfect time for Southgate to bring on Jordan Henderson for, for Declan Rice and then Grealish for Mason Mount. So, like bring them on at like the hour and you have five substitutions to work with. Just put a little more energy in your midfield and see what can happen when you're still up one nil and you're not really getting a hold of the ball, but maybe they can kind of, maybe they can kind of turn the tide before Italy eventually equalized. Do you think Grealish should have started? No. You don't? No, I think the four Mason Mount's been in the last like three months, I think he was always going to be one of the first names on that team sheet. Uh, yeah, I, I think Grealish has been better for England this year as an impact sub. I think he, if he was going to start, it should have been in the group stage to see kind of how he gels with the team as a starter rather than just like the last 15, 20 minutes of the game. Uh, but I think that would have been really almost like unfair to Grealish to have him start and not really like he isn't used to playing 60 to 75 minutes of the game. Like for the last six, seven games, he was only coming on at like the 80 minute mark if he was even needed. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think, I don't think England would have played as well had Grealish started. Well, and Nick, a lot has been made about Southgate and his lineup choices, right or wrong. We've talked a lot about it on this podcast, but from your perspective, do you think that he should have lined up this this squad differently? Do you agree with Pat that he should have made different substitutions at different times? What, what what's kind of your viewpoint on not only uh, Southgate's decisions, but 
kind of the criticism that he's gotten this whole tournament. Do you feel that it's been warranted? What's kind of your viewpoint on just kind of his lineup choices? So, I mean, I'll be the first to say I've been pretty critical of him, especially at the start when England weren't exactly starting off too hot and kind of scraping by with these 1-0 wins and things like that. But um, obviously, Southgate did get them to a final. I may not agree with it all the time, but they were, England were able to get there. In terms of, like, like I, I don't mind the lineup, too. I think he's had a pretty solid lineup, and I agree with Pat that Starting Grealish in this game, I don't think would be the right move. But I think there's definitely levels to, um, there's a corner and then uh, Italy score. And you don't start making some impact substitutions. Because we know from this Italian team that as soon as they get one, they're going to be knocking on your door for the rest of the game to keep you uncomfortable or until they at least get another. And uh, like Pat makes a great point. Bring on some fresh legs then to try and seal this up. Don't go into extra time. Mount was tired. The kid played almost every game for Chelsea and played late into the Champions League, and now he's playing every game for England. Get him off and bring on a fresh Grealish where he actually has time to make some impact and things like that. Um, I think, and like we said, we'll get into Southgate a little bit more because there are some other decisions later in the game which I definitely don't agree with. But like in a situation here, I think you've got to start making some changes and freshen things up because... Italy get on that front foot after that goal, and they really know how to start dominating and taking over a game really quickly. Yeah. Well, and as we move into extra time, um, actually before extra time, it was kind of in the dying embers of the of regulation. Uh, we saw Chiellini get a yellow card. And, uh, Pat, you and I talked about this before we actually started recording about this moment in the game, and uh, it, it actually came in the 96th minute on a uh, on a breakaway. I don't know if you want to kind of detail uh, what you saw and what we are kind of agreeing on here. Yeah, well, so uh, Saka for England had been kind of running down that right side of the field along the touchline, and a ball's played for him to run onto, and being so late in the game, Chiellini horse-collar tackles him and just rips him down to the ground. And Chiellini's, like, for him, he's very lucky to only see yellow. And, I mean, in the, in the heat of the moment, I originally had thought maybe, okay, like, yellow card, that's fine. Like, like I mean, it, maybe if it wasn't so just, like, crunching of a tackle. Like, maybe, like, try and show, like, oh, I was trying to get the ball and I just took him down. Not, like, I just grabbed him by the his shirt collar and yanked him down to the ground as in front of the all the english fans i thought that was great <laughs> um but yeah i mean i was very surprised like five minutes after to kind of realize var didn't even look at it like yeah. i i mean with him if he gets past chiellini he's running th- he's a Saka's a very quick guy and he gets past chiellini with the ball at his feet he's gonna get through on goal and he's not going to be the only guy that's going to be in the box. Somebody's going to find it in themselves in this Euro final to summon that bit of energy and get maybe on the receiving end of a ball in the box. Uh, but yeah, I I think if that was any other situation other than a Euro final or 96 minutes into a Euro final, Chiellini would have 100% have seen red. Because there's no yeah. way at like the 50-minute mark you can make a tackle such as that. And yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it because I don't think it's really been talked about much. It's kind of become a meme, of course. Like we've all seen it. Like the, 
I've seen somebody like put a Superman cape on on, on uh, Chiellini, and it looks like he's like carrying Saka through through the air as <laughs> Superman. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's become a good meme. But I was kind of the opposite, Pat. I was like in the moment, I was like, oh, that's that's got to be a right card. Like he didn't even make a play on the ball. He he grabbed him by the horse collar, as you said in the NFL. That's a 15 yard penalty. Um, and it is kind of a the downside of watching it on television as opposed to being there. We don't totally get to see if he's the last defender. Because if he is, you know, if he's confirmed the last defender, even if it's at the midway point of the field, I mean, that's always a red. Um, and, 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 Scrat, I know you were kind of disagreeing with us here, so I, I'd like to bring you in on this and kind of give your perspective on it. But, like, Pat, as I was saying, I was kind of the opposite of you. I saw it happen in real time, and I was like, God, I think that has to be a red. And then kind of looking at social media, kind of people talking about it, I was like, okay, maybe – Maybe it wasn't right. Maybe there was something that I wasn't seeing. But 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 Scratchy, what's kind of your view on that? Because I feel like it's a point that hasn't been totally talked about in terms of um, the potential significance of that moment in the, in the grand scheme of the game. For sure. I mean, I definitely think that's yellow. It's got to be. Like you said, he's not really playing the ball by any stretch of the imagination. There. The thing for me, like the thing for me that I look at, they're right there on the sideline, and I what are they like? Maybe. 10 yards away from the halfway line as well. So they're kind of just pushed up in that corner of their half there. And Keelini brings him down. And, uh, I mean, this game, I watched this game a few days ago, but I swear Benucci is, like, at the top of the frame in there. And he, he I don't, like, I don't know if I would say Keelini's necessary last defender. And that, then you've got a, I don't even remember the right back's last name. Uh, bad journalism right here. But, uh. <laughs> Tony Gargonzolo, that's Italian, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go with to- <laughs> Tony Tony G. Soprano Tony at right back for the Italians. <laughs> Regardless, like, I know, I know Saka's quick. I think those guys are getting back, but I just think the position of where it occurred kind of dissuades that from being a red, especially with what you're saying with the context of the game, like how late we are, where it's at on the pitch. And, uh, I mean, if you throw that in the center of the pitch, though, like – Right in the middle, Saka's through, and that's a shot on goal, and I think that's got to be a red. So that it's a pretty tough scenario, and I think, like, you know, VAR didn't look at it, and that might be a good thing because they got away with not really having a lot of controversy around them during this tournament. They let them play. They let them play. Yeah, they let them play, and which I, I appreciate, and I like that. So I don't know. Those are kind of my thoughts on that. It's an interesting situation. Just one, like, I was watching the game uh, with some family members who don't always watch soccer, and, of course, when, you, when you're watching the game with people who either don't like soccer or don't follow it, they're always, oh, they're on the ground flopping, oh, it's just, how do you watch this? And it's like, oh, it's so brutal to watch all these players just diving for calls, and then soccer gets dragged to the ground, and I just look at them like, do you think he's flopping there as well? Yeah. <laughs> just grabbed by the neck and brought down. Well, and that's so funny because when Chiesa actually got injured, I think he came in the in the in extra time. Uh, he looked like he was totally flopping, and then he comes out of the game. It's like okay, so maybe he wasn't flopping. It was I don't know. It's you know the Italians are kind of in that category for me with like the Brazilians and the Argentinians of like <laughs> you know they're gonna embellish a lot. So, but yeah, I think I think somewhere in that that Saka situation, there's there's a joke about Saka choking. Um, but we'll we'll save that for when we get to well, that point. Later. I mean, like, I mean, like that's the funny part about it too is that like for the people that don't really watch soccer all the time, like they like they 
just whenever a player goes down like that, they're assuming they only think that they're going down trying to get like a free kick, and that's why they're staying on the ground. And it's like like it's more of like a tactical scenario where they're like, if this is like the 85th minute and my guys need some water, like I'm going to yeah, stay on the ground yeah. for a little bit, pretend to need medical attention, and let the rest of the team kind of hydrate up a little bit and then get right back out. It's like well, it's not it, you see it in you see it in the NBA as well. Like LeBron stayed on the ground after he got poked in the eye for like five minutes. Like yeah, where look, is this criticism for that? Soft. Yeah. I was gonna say that LeBron situation is a little, <laughs> you know. We can, There's we, no we can tactics have... in that whatsoever. That's just to get the cameras on you to oh, oh, yeah. LeBron James. But but I'm glad you mentioned that, Pat, though, because I think that there is the element of people not understanding the tactical facet of the game when it comes to, to stalling. But also, I people forget that these players at the professional level, they play with metal studs. And you're running – some of these guys are running, you know, 19 miles an hour, and you get clipped by a metal stud, and you immediately go to the ground. Like, it's – like sometimes you like you lose your breath. It's it is it is. You get clipped a by a normal stud game. and you're gonna fall down running that fast. Like when right, you're not expecting right. a challenge and you get a stud into your Achilles, like that's you're not gonna oh. just keep running. Like it's yeah. impossible. Yeah, we 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 can add that to our our uh, the the podcast that I know we're all looking forward to, where we're just gonna sit there and and, and have a have a never ending conversation about soccer. Uh, we can add that to the list of topics of, 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 of opinions of people who don't like soccer because I think that is a fascinating discussion that deserves more analysis. That'd be a great future episode. I like that. Yeah. Um, uh, m- moving forward in, into the game, though, uh, we, we see the substitutions, Gareth Southgate substitution specifically, really become an element in this. And that's when right before – there was actually a moment where I was thinking, okay, maybe Italy's going to possess this and not let the ball go out of balance so they can't make these substitutions as England was trying to bring on Sancho and Rashford uh, specifically for penalties. Now, again, I think that this is a good point to stop and think. This tactic of bringing on players specifically for penalties after they haven't had any – like they haven't even touched the ball, right? Um, how do you guys feel about this? And we'll start with you, Scrad. As, so, as somebody who's played the game, not not at this high of a level, of course, but <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine that that as a player, I'd want to get a little bit of blood in my legs, right? I'd want to run around a little bit, get a little bit touch on the ball, kind of kind of sweat a little bit before just going in and having to take one kick of the ball. I don't know. I don't know how you feel. A hundred percent, because there's something to be said from going to being like really involved in the game and watching the game from the bench. Like you can be involved in the game and be into it and have energy from the bench but it's a whole different story to at least get at least even like five minutes out there of some high tempo gameplay get your legs moving loosen up a little bit way more than you are doing some warm-ups on the sideline or anything and i know like i saw a couple people argue um the argument of like specialists like oh rashford's a penalty specialist he should be able to walk on and just take one kick which I mean, sure, the guy's good at penalties, right? But, like, get your head in the game a little bit more and be focused up because when you know you're coming on to take a pen, you're going to be thinking about that standing there with that one minute to go, and then you're headed right to it. Like, go get your mind off it, play the game a little bit, think of something else. And also that goes with the specialist situation. And we'll get into it a little bit more, but I don't think Jaden Sancho should be taking a penalty. I'm... I saw the statistics of all the penalty takers for the English lineup, 
and Sancho has never taken a penalty um, at like the professional level like that. So I don't, I just don't really understand the thought process there. Pat, do you go for fresh legs or, or what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I kind of touched on it earlier. I mean, like, if you're going to bring on the likes of Rashford and Sancho, it's got to be a lot earlier than what he did. I mean, Rashford should one of Rashford or Sancho should have come on at the very beginning of extra time and let him have 30 minutes on the field and see if maybe he can do something with Kane or uh, with Sokka or even, like, I, I yeah, I mean, that's where I think Southgate is going to be kind of thrown under the bus by the English media Uh in the next like month or so is that uh, he just kind of failed in that aspect to kind of realize like this is probably going to be going to penalties. It doesn't seem like either side are going to bag a goal. I mean, there wasn't really a chance at all in extra time. Um, so like even, even at the beginning of the second half of extra time, like give him at least 15 minutes on the field plus whatever is tagged on at the end to kind of just get his legs loose, get his head in the game as Scrat said, um, and like maybe the outcome is a little bit different, but I like uh, with Harry Kane going first. I was very surprised to see him being the first one to step up because usually you like like the last like few shootouts I've seen, like whether it be like domestic competition or even something like this, you have like your your best player go more towards like the latter end of that five. So if you right. get into a situation where you need a goal, you have a guy who like like Harry Kane. Besides that, just shockingly poor penalty against uh Denmark like a week prior uh his only he I think he's only missed like five for Spurs in like the like probably the hundred he's taken for them in all competitions uh so I yeah I mean have like have Rashford go first where like you're not like really like the penalty shootout hasn't really caught its like vibe yet like you don't know how the goalkeeper is going to be performing and everything um but yeah, I think I mean that I mean at the same time that's down to the players as well like who wants to step up first for their country, who wants to wait towards the latter end, I suppose. Right. And, and we don't know how they delineated this amongst the the England group because you know, Grealish got a lot of stick for for not taking one and he said, "Hey, I wanted to take one, but I just wasn't selected." And I actually believe that a lot because we've seen how uh, Southgate has treated Grealish throughout this tournament, right? He he wasn't the first guy to be in the lineup, so that that wouldn't surprise me at all if Southgate picked this. And Southgate is a guy who who missed a pen for England to cost them a, a European Championship, uh, not in the final, of course, in the semifinals, but but nonetheless, he understands kind of what the nature of this is. Um, and to your guys' point, I I kind of when it comes to penalties, I think. Um, it's kind of an American perspective, kind of like baseball, where you have your best batter go third. I think that's probably a good spot to have uh, your best penalty taker, um, just because it's you know he might not uh, never get the chance. Like I, I remember, I think it was in Euro 2012 where Cristiano Ronaldo, I think he was poised to go fifth, ended up never taking a penalty. Um, uh, so I, I like I like to have our, our the best shooter go third, but. Um, before we get into kind of what went wrong in the penalty shootout, I would like to, to shed some light on the goalkeepers in this because I thought that they played lights out uh, and deserve a lot of credit because there were a lot of saves, especially Pickford's save against Jorginho. That was an what an I mean, awesome save. That I was mean, incredible. 
in the mo- in the most critical moment that that a player could ever be in for his country <laughs> in their home stadium. I mean, he you cannot write a script like that because people just wouldn't believe it. It it was such a great save, um, but unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be for England, of course. Um, and, and and as as Pat said, Harry Kane finished his, and after Italy missed theirs, Bellotti missed his. Uh, Harry Maguire had the best penalty I've ever seen. <laughs> Uh, did, you see, did you see it broke penalty. the camera in the back of the goal? Oh, it, yes, it, that was it's, awesome. It's 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 amazing, and I think that was one of his first penalties, if not the first penalty that he ever took as a professional, like in a professional competitive match, and, and what a time to do it and what a time to score. And then oh, Benucci. Boy. And then uh, uh, I guess before we get to Benucci, uh, uh, Rashford. Um, and I don't, I don't know how you guys feel, but – I know people hate like the long run up and, and looking at the keeper and everything, but I don't think it was that bad of a penalty because he picked the right side. I think he just got too cute with it. He tried to put it too much in the corner and ended up hitting off the post. I think if he didn't do the, you know, the long run up and everything, I think people's criticism would be different because it was just a close shot. Um, but I mean, there's obviously a lot of the stuff that comes after with Rashford and we'll get to that. But, but when you guys, saw Rashford and Sancho and Sokka miss. Scratch, we'll start with you. What was going through your mind when you saw three straight England players, three straight young black English players miss those those penalties? So I'll tell you off the bat, like, um, like I, taking a penalty before, you know, it's everyone says when you go up to take a penalty, like it's a lot better to go up and take it fast and get it over with because if you start thinking about it you'll overthink and off the bat i noticed that those three did take a little bit longer than you saw most of the italian players take who went up there and just slapped them home really quickly they took a little too much time and they think about it secondly i honestly got nervous to see social media's reaction once i saw those three miss because we've seen a lot of issues with racism in soccer especially over I'd say like the last two years with social media so many players come out and say all the abuse they've been getting on Twitter and Instagram and it's made me fear for them a little bit because when you have such a tough moment like that I don't think that uh I like I it's not fair to them whatsoever and just not okay at all for them to be getting hate like that it's just completely unacceptable but my kind of last big point on this and I'm curious to hear what you guys think, too. I think Bakayo Saka is a phenomenal talent and everything, but putting a 19-year-old up to take the final penalty kick in a European championship is, oh, I just don't understand the decision-making there because he he hasn't taken many penalties before, if any, correct me if I'm wrong, and to put him in a pressured situation like that, I think you want a little bit more experience, just someone that's been somewhere. Like, You've got Raheem Sterling, who's put away a fifth penalty for City to win an FA Cup final against Chelsea. You've got Jack Grealish, who is a very uh, experienced, very talented player who, like you said, wanted to take a penalty. Why are one of these two guys not going up to take this shot? Why is someone even like John Stones, another really experienced player, not coming up to take one of these penalties instead of guys like Sancho and Saka? I, I like I think the blame has to fall on Southgate for that because I I just don't think they should have been in this position in the first place. So 
And yeah, yeah. I mean, I have. A, ahead, yeah, I've got a few things to touch on that. Uh, Sam, just kind of going back to what you said about the long run up for attackers. I was reading an article. Uh, I think it was from Sky, uh, where they were kind of talking about like defenders don't like defenders are like sneaky good penalty takers because they don't do any of the the stutter or the long run up. They literally put the ball down. They're like, okay, I'm just gonna hit this as hard as I fucking can. And they're and, used to booting it because they have to boot. Yeah, up the field, that's all they do. It's or like, all right. pass it. Like, they all are pretty good on their feet. They have to be. It's a simple pass. And, well, simple, quote-unquote. Yeah. But you know what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even describe what you said about soccer. Like, yeah, why isn't another defender just going up there and kind of making Donnarumma think a little bit more? Like, just kind of the body language that Sokka had stepping up to the ball. He did not look confident at all. Oh, he looked um, scared in his boots. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, with, like... As soon as Rashford missed his penalty, my first, like, I said this out loud, that he's going to have to, like, delete Instagram and Twitter. And then Sancho missed. I'm like, well, he's also going to have to delete Instagram and Twitter. And then Sokka missed. And I'm like, the fucking floodgates are going to be opening with all of this just over-the-top, unnecessary racial abuse. And you see the the response from Rashford online yesterday... Uh, with just like that massive paragraph on his Instagram page with the the mural uh, with like the the posters and everything covering up the horrific uh, drawings and stuff that people had spray painted on there it almost brought a tear to my eye because it's just like he's what like 23 years old and yeah. stepping up for his country like trying to do the best that he can it's not like I mean, he's ne- it, he's never, it's never okay for racial abuse, obviously. I'm just not saying that. Uh, like, he he's not like this crazy experienced player. He, nobody on that team had been in a Euro final before. You stick anybody else in that spot, and they're going to be just as jittery as he was. And he had only been on the field for 10, 10 minutes. Well, and for those who don't know, kind of the background, background behind Marcus Rashford, didn't come from the best background in Manchester, but... Over COVID, the English government was going to cut certain programs, certain food programs for poor uh, youth in England. And Rashford stuck his head out there, and he started this whole campaign literally single-handedly to make sure that these kids were still going to get meals because they weren't going to be able to get provided them because their parents couldn't go to work and couldn't make any money. And... So when you think about that in, in, in this situation, he really is the biggest hero that England had on the field, regardless of what was going to happen anyway. And, you know, we, previously we, we had talked about Mexico fans and, and how they have had homophobic slurs. Um, and, and I've read recently that they're at risk of losing a World Cup place because of that. Um, when you, when you look at English fans, and they've historically had problems going all the way back to the 60s. I actually, during undergrad, I wrote a thesis paper on it. Um, and it is a systemic issue, um, and a lot of it comes from the same place that I think a lot of the Mexico issues do, where it's there's a, there's a minority of fans that can ruin it for the lot, and there's kind of become a cult following behind kind of being that, that hooligan and the hooligan nature of it. But I do think we should point out that while all of this has happened, you saw a lot of the English fans that I think we can all sympathize with come out and, and decorate that wall that was uh, defamed and put up messages of how much 
Marcus Rashford has impacted their life. You know, I saw some of the notes about like what there was a kid that wrote like Marcus, thank you for giving me dinner. Like this is this is how much impact that this one young man has had on this country, and to see uh, him be in that position is incredibly incredibly unfortunate. But you also have to say that he has handled it with an absolute utmost of class and has 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 just taken it on the chin and and really put everything in context and has has been so mature about it and I think I think England can be very proud of him while also being very ashamed of what a lot of their fans had done especially when you consider not only that which happened but during the game there were England fans that broke into the gates they broke through security and rushed into Wembley Stadium and like took people who paid you know hundreds of dollars or I guess pounds for their seats um, and just kind of flooded and, and, and we're kind of seeing um, at English, England's biggest moment in their recent soccer history a lot of the dark history that they've had in their past come up again um, and I, I know that was kind of a long-winded way of saying that like you know it's it's super unfortunate but I think we need to put this in context of of why this happens, where this comes from. Um, and, I, you know, I've seen a lot of opinions, but I think as much as, as as hate that there is, I think we should also recognize how much good has come from this in terms of people supporting Marcus Rashford. Um, I did want to... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I did see that Rashford did come out and say, and I think that, like you said about his maturity and how well he handled it, I think he he came out and he said, like, he basically said, listen, I'm sorry for this loss and I'm sorry this happened, but I will never be sorry for who I am. And I think that's just a really powerful statement from a really mature and professional young young man, honestly. I mean, that's something that I look up to. I think, I think he takes that, like you said, he takes it on the chin so well. And just having that mentality when so many people are coming down on you in such terrible ways, I think is he's just such a great role model for people to look up to. Yeah, Absolutely. and... Just, like, two quick things. I mean, just, like, the utter hypocrisy from, uh, like, the, like the U.K. government in the last few days with mm-hmm. Boris Johnson coming out and just saying, shame on you for being racist. And then yeah. there, I, uh, I think it's their defense secretary. I'm not, it's, like, home security or something like that. Uh, uh, with, is, is it Pretty Patel or something like yeah, that? The, yeah, yeah. The girl, yeah. Yeah, so uh, she had uh, sent out a tweet on uh, Monday morning, like condemning the racist abuse, and Tyrone Mings, one of the uh, black defender for England, uh, quoted it and responded to her saying, "You you don't get to sympathize with us after we've been on the brunt end of all this racial abuse when you like utterly politicized our taking a knee at the beginning of the game, and said that oh you're just doing this for the Black Lives Matter movement and you're all like just looking for the spotlight." And they're trying to bring awareness to this horrific issue. And then you have this woman politicizing it and then trying to eat her words later when it actually, like, when it's even more brought to the forefront where it's not just a player on one team, it's collectively like 10 guys on the national team. Right. And just saying, like, I want to know what was going through just to wrap this up, I want to know what was going through the speechwriter for Boris Johnson's head when all he said was, he said, shame on you, uh, and I hope you crawl back under the rock from which you emerged. I, I want to know what was going through their head when they decide, when they settled on shame on you as their opening, yes. as their opening line. Uh, it just seemed 
it was, it was like something you'd read in the onion like just it's just yeah. so comical like oh there's this awful there's just like this awful uh this awful thing happening throughout the entirety of our country and all i'm going to say is shame on you for doing it but i'm not going to take any measurable step forward in combating this issue just a, a very very weak response absolutely and it's a shame because it was a great tournament, and as we kind of move into our recap of the whole tournament, um, in my opinion, I think this is, this has been the best international tournament that we've seen since probably the World Cup 2014 in Brazil. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that statement. Maybe that's a hot take, but I, I really enjoyed this tournament. I thought it was great, and I think especially coming out of such troubling times for, I mean, you think about a country like Italy. They were at the brunt of COVID-19 pandemic from the very beginning and um i think i think it was a great way to as i said earlier reintroduce crowds back into the into the european game and and scratch i don't know about you but uh, would you agree with me in, in saying that this is the best tournament we've had in in, in quite some time um i i would on i would say it's probably tied with the 2018 world cup because that that world cup did have a special place in my heart especially seeing croatia go to the final like i i was very very into that tournament but i do agree with i think you make a great point honestly on just coming out of covid and everything and finally starting to see things get a sense of normalcy especially in soccer which we just haven't seen in so so long it just i think this tournament meant a lot to obviously like you said the italians but i think it just meant a lot to the world in general watching and seeing you know like we could come out of this and we can actually like see the beautiful game the way it's meant to be seen again it I, I really appreciated that and it just reignited my passion for international soccer for sure well and, and we saw a lot of embrace in our country as well in terms of this game just breaking different records on espn in terms of ratings uh getting more viewership than so far what has been uh for an nba finals game this year really kind of amazing st- like that we just have not seen that level of viewership in 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 this country's history for especially not a u.s game i think our the the i remember in 2014 it was the portugal game that we had 21 million americans tune in for usa portugal uh and for this game this was 9 million compared to the nba finals having about 8 million uh per per game uh patrick how, how do you how do you how, how, how do you think this tournament is gonna sit for you in terms of just kind of as we look back on it in, in five to ten years. I honestly think this has been the best tournament I've ever watched. Just kind of leading up to it, how it was supposed to be last year, and they didn't want to do it without fans in the stadium, which I wholeheartedly agreed with, uh, to then now it happening and seeing these crowds just filled with fans, and then you've got the whole Ericsson incident and Denmark and Finland like notorious rivals come together and they're che- like cheering on one another, which I thought was just fantastic to see after uh, the horrifying on-field incident. And just like the, the entire knockout stage, there was not a single game where I was like, ah, this is kind of a boring game to watch. Like they were all, I was very interested in all, all the ones I was able to watch, not as many as I would have liked. Uh but yeah, no, I mean, and as you said, like we didn't have a single stake in any of these teams winning. <laughs> but like every time we watched, when we're like we kind of like 
when we make when we made that bracket at the beginning of the knockout stage, it's like okay, these are the teams I'm going for, and just getting that rush when they like when you make your pick correctly, or just like kind of the sadness you feel when you watch a team bow out and like their young players like their first ever tournament or something, and it just like overcome by emotion. He's just like breaking down on the field. It's just this was yeah this was. This one or the 2016 Euros. The the Euros have been my favorite competition to watch so far. Yeah, and, and, and we got so much in this tournament, both just goals uh, and off-the-field drama. Um, you mentioned the Ericsson. Uh, I'll share my favorite bit of, of, of quote-unquote non-football-related moment of the tournament. It actually came the day of the final. Uh, I texted you guys about this. I, was, uh, I took a road trip out to, uh, to San Francisco. And on my way out, I was like, well, I've never been in this part of the country, so I'll, I'll stop by, you know, Berkeley. I'll go check out, like, Oakland and, uh, you know, the University of California and Berkeley and, and whatnot. And then uh, right before I'm about ready to, to set home for, for about four-hour drive, I was like, well, I, I got to get some coffee. It was about 8 a.m. And uh, so I go to this coffee shop, and, uh, you know, uh, there's just an old man there, and he's, he's, he's talking to the barista as I'm getting my coffee, and he's like, I heard him mention Messi, and I was like, okay, no, no, this is a conversation I could just drop in on and feel comfortable about it. And they're talking about that, and then the old man goes, yeah, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I think I think Italy's really going to take it, but but man, Raheem Sterling has, has really looked phenomenal this tournament. I was like, oh, we're not just talking soccer, we're going to talk some tactics. Like, it was a great, like, five-minute <laughs> conversation that, one of those conversations that I think as American soccer fans, I think, I don't know about you guys, but I just get such a buzz off that, especially when it's people you don't know, just random people in public. Uh, so I think that was the biggest moment for me because uh, I think to the point earlier, just kind of the way that this country has really embraced it for a tournament that doesn't have the U.S. Really, just embracing it for the purpose of, of soccer. Really, uh, Scrat, I know I know you have even a, a better non-football related moment than I, than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, real quick, building off what you said, I I really enjoyed the fact that I was going into work every day and I was getting guy like middle-aged dudes that never watched a game in their life we were all pulling uh games up on our screen and getting really into it so building off that like i think that's really enjoyable just seeing people who aren't used to watching soccer being into it kind of get into the game but uh a kind of funny one that i saw i was scrolling through twitter the other day and i saw a video before the final of uh a crowd of english fans surrounding uh well, it must have been a statue, and one of them was uh, sitting around like its neck on top, and he kind of had a little something in his hands, and he, <laughs> and I don't condone this, but uh, <laughs> um, he was taking a key bump, and every time he took one, there was about 300, 400 English fans who gave him a little, hey, every single time, and they were all getting pretty rowdy, and I, I was just... Like I said, I don't condone it, but I thought it was pretty, pretty funny video and quite the scenes going on over in London. I'm going to uh, I'm going to one up you, and I'm going to see if I can find the video that I saw of a full blown ass naked man uh, <laughs> <laughs> with a flare coming out of his rear end <laughs> and, you know, upside down i'm sending it in, oh, our, in our twitter no. group right now it is i mean we can't retweet it on our page it is so inappropriate but it is so funny <laughs> and you know i think <laughs> I, I think 
this was a great moment for fans to enjoy. And and and, and Pat, I mean, was it the Erickson moment for you that was the most special non football moment of the tournament? Yeah, one hundred percent that. And uh, there's another uh, podcaster, uh, more prominently a journalist, who works for the Guardian, uh, Barry Glendening, who's, who's Irish, and he's uh, he's in a home with all of all of the guys he does the podcast with. And they're all English, and so they're watching the final, and he's just taking a video of them during the penalty shootout. And when Sokka misses his final one, he's like, all right, fucking lads, let's go! <laughs> all, all of his friends are just heading their hands. They're all like on the verge of tears, and as an Irishman, he just could not be happier that Italy have beaten England on their home field. It's just great to see. I, I saw somebody say that Mancini will never have to buy a beer in Ireland or Scotland or Wales ever again. <laughs> I love it. And, Scrat, I know you just t- took a look at the video that I referenced earlier. And, uh, I see I why you, we cannot retweet that on the page. That is, I, I guess I that need to take a, a look at this now. That is yeah. That is for sure. If, if, if anybody needs to see it, you can DM us at, at 44brewpod on Twitter, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll be your plug. No, No pun intended. <laughs> oh, well, that that's a great transition into uh, uh, a quick recap of the U.S. Uh, in the Gold Cup. And uh, on Sunday, the U.S. Uh, did begin their world or their Gold Cup journey rather uh, against Haiti, winning one nothing. Uh, there was <laughs> I bet, I see I, I could tell you saw the video. <laughs> it looks like Scrat on a Saturday morning before a football game. Oh boy! <laughs> Don't catch me at tailgates, folks. Oh. But yes, the uh, the U.S. won one nothing. All sorts of criticism. Uh, a lot of it warranted for uh, uh, Burhalter, his lineup selections, uh, kind of taking a page out of the NBA book, saying that you know the likes of Daryl DK, uh, Busio, uh, all the guys that we want to see, they need some rest because they've been playing a lot of games, which I get. Um, but ultimately, I think you could just tell that the team didn't have a whole lot of chemistry. They're playing with what we are calling their C team. Um, and, I mean, I think also people like to underestimate the Gold Cup. Uh, we saw Mexico tie nil-nil with Trinidad and Tobago, which uh, kind of just shows that, you know, and, and Mexico brought their A team, of course, and this kind of just shows that it's not a, a walk through the park like a lot of people like to make it out. Uh, they come back on Thursday um, against Martinique. Uh, which I think will probably – I mean, we, we've seen with this U.S. team uh, kind of struggle against Honduras and then come back and win Mexico in, in, in the biggest game in, in, in a long time for the U.S. So, I, I you know, there's a lot of tournament left. Um, but I think it, it'll be interesting to see how Burhalter approaches the rest of this. Um, and I'm sure we'll get more into uh, to, to the Gold Cup as we progress uh, later into the tournament. Um, and uh, I know – Last episode, we, we read kind of our, our teams of the finals. Uh, be on the lookout on our Twitter page uh, for our teams of the tournaments. Um, Pat, I know you and I kind of had some, some, some similar selections on our team. Um, Scratch, just kind of off the top of your head, who, who are kind of the, the top players that stuck out for you during the Euros? Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Spinozola, without a doubt. Jorginho. I know I agree with both you guys. Harry Maguire. Um, and then, I, I mean, I got I gotta say Cristiano Ronaldo. I have to, even though he may have been there for not Leading too long. Leading scorer. Uh, I, I gotta give it to him. I, 
the man ages like a fine wine. So I would say just off the top of my head, I would kind of rock with those guys. Yeah, and as we're running up against it, we do have a little bit of uh, breaking transfer news. I'm sure by the time you listen to this, it's not that breaking. But Ethan Horvath picked up by Nottingham Forest, two-time defend well, not defending, I guess, but two-time winning uh, European Cup Nottingham Forest. Uh, Pat, <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was the '70s, so they've been defending it for a long time and, and, and failing at that. Uh, but, but Pat, I. Is this all because of one game, do you think? or I mean, this seems like a really good move for him going from Club Rouge in Belgium to, to Nottingham Forest in the second division in England. I, I don't know. I honestly kind of liked him being the out-and-out starter for Club Rouge playing Champions League every year. Uh, I mean, it's a great move. I mean, I think uh, – I know we had been talking a few weeks back that he was rumored to be on his way to Fulham. Uh I think if he was going to leave Club Bruges, it should have been for a team fighting to stay up. Uh, that would really give him some uh, fa- fantastic game game time opportunities. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll see how it is. I mean, Nottingham Forest aren't really the team that are you're looking at. Oh, they're going to be promoted within a year or two. They're probably. I, I mean, I know next to nothing about not. The only thing I know about Nottingham Forest now is that Ethan Horvath is their new goalkeeper. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I would imagine I, you don't really hear them in the news too much. You don't really see highlights of their uh, of their team. I uh, can't imagine they're anything close to promotion. Um, but yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe the thing they were missing was a solid goalkeeper in the back. And if that's Ethan Horvath, maybe they can make a run. Well, and we've seen a lot of Americans do well in the championship, especially recently. Um, so we do, I mean, you, you wish him the best because I think it would be really good to see uh, Zach Steffen get some competition for that for that number one position. Um, and speaking of Zach Steffen, just kind of off topic here, I think that is somebody who might need to consider a move just to get some starting time because I think you want to have your starting keeper be somebody who's playing week in, week out for their club. Uh, but as we transition to our final segment, Unfortunately, it is not the MLS Minute. Uh, there will be no MLS <laughs> Minute today. I, fi- I figured we got enough in there with the Gold Cup and, and Ethan Horvath that I, I feel I feel content enough. Satisfied. To uh, it's yeah. I'll live another week, but right, uh, <laughs> but but Scrad, we'll let you start off with uh, with our viewer questions. Another great week of viewer questions that uh, we love answering. So uh, um, why don't you start off with it with, with the first question? My favorite segment of the show. So uh, our loyal listener, Mr. Christian, asks, what clubs have benefited most from the Euros slash Copa America? And then he gives an example. He says, I think Barcelona's midfield has really improved with the um, likes of how Pedri, Busquets, and um, De Jong played. He says he's excited to see that. Um, off the bat, I think that's a great shout on Barcelona, um, especially with Pedri, which we will get into a little bit later. Um, I would say for me, and you know, there's a little bias here, but I am really kind of just excited to see these Chelsea players because after a really long season, a really long Champions League uh, um, season as well, I think a lot of those guys really came and put their A game again in the Euros. You know, we're looking at like Havers, Jorginho. As Piliqueta, and then you could even throw in Pulisic for uh, the Nations League Cup, too. Um, I've just been really impressed with a lot of the boys keeping up good form for how much they've played recently. So, what do you guys think? Scrat, I'm actually going to follow that theme and, and talk about my boys in Manchester United. And, and here's why I'm going to say it, because 
Man United players have this weird knack at kind of having a huge mistake in international tournaments and then going back to Man United and having a good good season where, you know, they're kind of brought in. Man United, um, and this is just isn't me being biased, but they've kind of been known for having, at least in the past, when they, when it was easy to, when everything was, was going well and everybody was winning, but kind of having an atmosphere of kind of a home atmosphere where they were willing to bring everybody in. And people were excited to go back. Um, and I, I think specifically in, uh, in 1998 at the Euros when David Beckham uh, uh, got a red card, I believe it was, and then um, suffered a lot of abuse, not too dissimilar to what we're seeing with the likes of Rashford. Um, and I think with, with, with guys like Harry, or, uh, um, Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw having a great tournament um, and Rashford, I think that he plays best in the Man United shirt. I think that they have a lot to look forward to, especially if they bring in uh, more players like Varane. Um, Sancho coming in, of course. I think you saw a lot of good chemistry be- between Sancho and Rashford, uh, which excites me as a Man United fan. So uh, maybe doesn't totally answer Christian's question in terms of which clubs have most benefited from these, but I think speaking from my own knowledge on Manchester United, that's that's what I would say. I, I would say that there's kind of a history of, of Man United players doing well after struggling um, somewhat internationally, and having players play well, and and, and Harry uh, Harry Maguire and, and Luke Shaw, but but Pat, uh, what clubs do you think benefited the most from the summer? Yeah, I mean, I was just kind of, uh, I was, my first initial thought was to talk about Spurs, but uh, besides Gio Lacelso winning Copa America with Argentina, I mean, Spurs players didn't really have a great great uh, summer showing, uh, except for. Harry Kane scoring goals as he always does. That's really no, not not really a diamond in the rough there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was just going to lump on with uh, with uh, with you, Sam, and talking about Man United. I think you kind of see uh, almost like not even like the second coming of Maguire because he's still really young. But it just goes to show, as you touched on earlier, that he just needs a better defensive partner other than Victor Lindelof, um, yeah. oh, and yeah. that uh, yeah, with Luke Shaw playing out of his mind, I think. I honestly think David De Gea not having to play for Spain might give him a little bit more confidence and like I need to per- I need to start performing if I want to uh, be in the uh, first eleven for Spain again. Uh, so I think he's going to be kind of one to watch this summer, especially if uh, Dean Henderson doesn't like uh, doesn't start too often. Which last year, I mean, De Gea was the main man in between the sticks. I feel like for a good portion of the season. Um, but yeah, I mean, Luke Shaw, Harry Maguire. Uh, Rashford had a pretty good turn, and I mean, just Man United as a team as a whole were able to kind of take their time with the Jaden Sancho deal. Like, just they were able to kind of watch him play at the Euros and be, is this really the type of player we want to go for? And I kind of cemented his move to Manchester. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Scrat, I think I think the lit the uh, listener question portion of the show is kind of going to be your 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 time to shine. So I'm going to let you just uh, read off all of these for us. Alrighty, let's go. I love to hear it. So, uh, Christian comes back again with just another little thought rather than a question. And he says that Atletico Madrid got a steal in Rodrigo DePaul, which bounces off another question we'll have later. But off the bat, I think he's absolutely right. Um, if you don't know, DePaul played for Unidense in the Serie A for the last few seasons. Um, this past season, he had 19 goal contributions in 41 appearances, which for 
A guy that switches between center mid to attacking mid, I think, is a pretty good return. And I honestly think he's going to fit really well in La Liga and with Atletico. I think he's going to give them another nice creative attacking option. And I'm really excited to see him play this Well, season. and I'm seeing a lot of... Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Pat. Sorry. Okay. No, go for it. Uh, well, I've just seen a lot of uh, discussion about how uh, Barcelona is going to have to offload... Um, you know the two hundred million dollars that they that they have to shed, uh, according to La Liga. We'll see how much of that they actually have to shed, and then you know how much punishment they actually get from that. Um, but a lot of talk has been about uh, Antoine Griezmann being being one of the biggest names that they're going to have to shed, and potentially with him going to At- Atletico. Um, and I think it's 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 almost weird because you know they're def- they're going to be defending league champions. Atletico is kind of working kind of silently you know i don't i don't think anybody's they've always kind of been that third big name in spain but they kind of you know that's kind of how they operate and they do well and so i think they could be a a really really good team to look out for next year uh, especially if that griezmann signing comes off yeah i mean i was just going to say with uh paul coming from Serie A, going to la liga there are a lot of similarities between how those how the teams face up against each other just at the the physicality it's not going to uh like going from the portuguese league like up to up to the prem or anything like or uh just like more of like a smaller league up to up to a league as big as the the premier league so yeah i don't think there's gonna be too much of a culture shock for him i think he'll just slot right into that midfield and business as usual for him absolutely so, uh, next question we have. Bradley asks, does Messi winning his first international trophy change the narrative of the Messi versus Ronaldo debates? Uh, Sam, what are you kind of thinking with that? So, what I've always said about the Messi and Ronaldo debate is, is Messi is God-given talent. That dude, It's similar to Maradona. He's been blessed with an ability that we've never seen before, whereas Ronaldo is somebody who's worked for that ability. He is somebody who's just – his work ethic is ridiculous. Uh, you know, you hear stories about how he doesn't even – he hasn't even seasoned a chicken breast in seven years because he's so strict about his diet and everything. Um, so I do think in that respect it is kind of doing a disservice to kind of compare them because I think they are kind of coming from two different places. And the other aspect of it too is if you believe that – Copa America is the equivalent of the Euros, which I don't. However, I don't know how much that affects this equation. If you know, gun to my head, if I if I was asked to pick who's better, Messi or Ronaldo, and I was supposed to give an honest answer, right? I think my honest answer would be that they're the equivalent at this point in their career. I think they are equivalent. Um, I think. I think I mean, they've both handled a lot, and I think also Messi. An aspect of what Ronaldo has in his favor is that he's played in multiple different leagues and has been successful in multiple different leagues, whereas Messi has only stayed at one club his whole senior career. And uh, I don't think that does him well in debates. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I'm not one to really kind of fall into the, the Messi-Ronaldo trap that we see on social media that is so rampant. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know it's kind of a cop out. I'd, I'd probably say both. I think I think I'm more impressed by Ronaldo in terms of the way that he's been able to develop his career. Um, I think Messi is the more skilled player. I think Ronaldo is the better winner. Is how I would frame it. 
Okay. I like that. Pat, what are you kind of thinking? Yeah, I mean, going back to the strength of the Copa America versus the Euros, I mean, it's not Messi's fault that he's Argentinian. Fair. And this is the only tournament, like, international tournament he can play in. Uh, and, I mean, it, winning that tournament isn't a walk in the park. I mean, they haven't won. It was the first time they've won it since, like, what, like, I think it was, like, the early 90s or the late 80s was the last time that they had won it. Um, and, I mean, they had to go through the likes of Brazil in the final and a tough Brazil team as well. Uh, a Brazil team, I mean, kind of a useless statistic now, but up until that loss against Argentina in the final last Saturday, they had never lost a game when Casemiro had started or had been on the field. Like, they hadn't lost in, uh, I think it was like they hadn't lost in a game that finished in regulation time or extra time. Like, that just like, didn't require penalties. Uh, but, I mean, you've still got, like, the likes of Neymar and, Roberto Firmino, uh, Firmino, and then Casemiro in the back line that's pretty good with Reynon Lodi at uh, the left side of the youngster for uh, Atletico Madrid, and then Eder Militao at some points in the seasoned veteran of Thiago Silva, and then Ederson, of all people, in goal. Like That's a tough, tough team to beat. And just on paper, I think you'd kind of see Brazil are probably a little bit stronger in more key areas than, than Argentina was. Uh, but, I mean, I'll always think that Messi is better than Ronaldo. Uh, I, I think kind of regardless of Ronaldo's success at, like, the international level, I don't really think. I mean, that doesn't really matter as much for me. I mean, if, like, if Messi was doing the same thing he's doing, but he plays for Greece, <laughs> I mean, would this be, like, a question? I mean, you would never expect Greece to, I mean, besides their, it's an awful example, it's since they've won the Euros <laughs> in 2004. <laughs> I uh, I mean, but like now, like Greece like struggle to qualify for World Cups and everything. Like even even if they had a, a man like Lionel Messi in the team, uh, I'd still I mean I would still think Messi is better just club level and the personal awards he's won. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, Messi over Ronaldo for me. I could think regardless of whether or not Argentina won the Copa America on Saturday. So I, I kind of look at it as. I think from kind of like the guys we see in the Twitter replies of pretty much any soccer-related post, I think this does lean more towards Messi in favor because a lot of people always held that, oh, Ronaldo has the international trophy and Messi doesn't. And so I think that kind of helps Messi in that case. For me personally, I feel like I'm kind of in a similar situation with Sam where I don't I just appreciate the fact that I'm alive in a great period of time where I've been able to watch these two play. And, like, you know, I guess gun to my head, like, with Sam, I might say, like, I think gun to my head, full honesty, I would have to say that I think Messi is the better player. But that is, like, nothing against Ronaldo. Like, I think you made a great point. Ronaldo is the best winner of all time, so... That being said, moving on, Brad did ask another question. He said, who... It is the most shocking or best transfer of this summer so far, and why? So I'll throw that to you guys first and kind of see what you think. Uh, I have two. Uh, I think the pie to Barcelona is going to be underrated, especially like with Sam said of Griezmann, uh, is look like kind of looking to leave uh, Barcelona. They gave him. I think the pie gives more of a better attacking option than Griezmann has the last few years that he's been playing for them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, more of a funny transfer. I just absolutely loved that Rui Patricio has gone to Roma and then Wolves have replaced him with another Portuguese goalkeeper. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just just Portugal FC overplaying for over at Wolves. Uh, yeah, I think no, I think Depay is Depay kind of swept was kind of swept under the rug because it kind of happened right as the Euros were starting to kick off, and I don't really think it got the attention it deserved, especially because it was a free transfer. I was gonna so say they, that's, they that's weren't a big part caught into like yeah, like they weren't caught in this uh, like bidding war between other clubs. Like Depay had made it very well known that he wanted to go to Barcelona and he kind of play for whatever whatever contract they were willing to give him. Just have the opportunity to play with the likes of Messi, who looks like more and more like he's going to be staying. Uh, De Jong in the midfield, the Dutch connection between the two of them, and just like an out-and-out better team than he's coming from with uh, Lyon. Well, and I know that we said we wanted to shorten these episodes a little bit, and we're going well over time, so I'll be quick <laughs> with mine, but... <laughs> And I, I hate giving PSG praise, but I think they've done fantastic this window. First of all, getting Hakimi, I think that is a crucial signing. And especially, I think Inter are going to regret letting him go. I think he was a crucial member of their uh, title-winning side. Uh, and then them also picking up Donnarumma on a free. I mean, we, we saw how great of a of, of a Euros he had. Th- those two are the best for me. I, I'm not really sure in terms of the worst, most shocking one so far. Um yeah, I, I, I'm sure Man United's gonna have one. They're gonna re-sign Fellaini or some shit like that. But, <laughs> but Scott, do you, do you do you have like a worst one? Um, oh, I don't know if I would say I have a worst one. Honestly, I think with the Euros and Copa America ended, I think we're gonna start seeing some ones that are really just gonna kind of blow up social media pretty soon here. I think you make a great point on Hakimi as being a great one, and I kind of forgot about that. But I think we have a lot left to see. I'll move on to our last question because, like you said, we are getting a little uh, long on time. Rico Suave asks, is Pedri the second coming of the quote-unquote holy Andres Iniesta? I won't be jumping to any conclusions too quickly as he's only 18. (laughs) But I have to say, for playing every single minute of the Euros and going to go play with Spain in the Olympics, I am really, really impressed with this kid. He played phenomenal for Barcelona. He was one of Spain's best player, if not Spain's best player overall in the tournament. Um, I'm excited to see what he has. I'm really excited to see how he plays this season. Yeah, I I definitely think he's going to be a very good player for Barcelona and for Spain. Uh I'll wait to compare him to Andre Iniesta. I'll wait for another. I'll wait for one more World Cup and one more Euros. And if he performs the same, then yeah, I think he'll probably he'll reach that Iniesta level. But I think as an eighteen-year-old, I think that's a little. It's a little bit of a stretch, right? I think now. I said this last episode. I kind of like this Rico Suave guy. He asks us kind of slightly outlandish questions, but that have really good points to him. Uh, and he's, yeah. he's not anybody that we know. And I love that his, his profile picture is a picture of his, his FIFA manager. Uh, but, but like I said, it's, it, it's, it's got a touch of outlandishness to it, but you're also kind of like that. That is a good shout. Like he is very similar to an Andres Iniesta in his style of play. Uh, and how legendary his career could be if it continues on the trajectory it is. So, um, Rico, keep shooting us questions, man. I like these. 
How f- how fucking convenient that not only did that just happen, but also the longest episode we've done so far is one that I'm editing. So the two of you can go fuck yourselves. Uh, hey, can you keep that in? That is that is that is. Yeah. Oh, I definitely I definitely will. I absolutely you keep all this in because that is a moment that that the that the listeners need to hear. Wow, Sam, why are you doing that all night? <laughs> Jesus. In case you didn't hear, Sam just That was not me. That was Scratch. You said Scratch knows it. Oh. oh, that's hilarious. Either way. No comment. No well, comment. Well, Scratch introduced us. Pat, why don't you send us off? Well, I do have one thing to say. Oh, uh, that's a surprise. A little. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I did want to give a shout-out to Keenan Davis oh, yes, for draw, uh, for drawing the spectacular cover art that we have now. We had only asked for one, just like a simple picture of like the three of us around uh, the Premier League trophy. And uh, he's like, very busy with work, and he's been doing the uh, – his drawings and his artwork for many years now and his people asking him to do uh like custom like custom pictures just for like one person uh so not only did he fit us in at the same time he sent us back like 15 different options to work with with like different backgrounds or like ways that were kind of edited in the picture so just a awesome shout out to him uh i'm sure we'll if we're ever looking to change up the cover art and uh in a little bit's time i'm sure kino you'll be the first person we call you'll be you the only per- him, you'll be the only person we call i should say you can find his art page on instagram at kwdr i highly suggest any of you go check it out because he's got some insane stuff yeah, if you think if you think the picture of us was pretty spot on you should see what he does with us oh yeah he he's uh drawn this picture of Kobe, it was very, like, very soon after Kobe had uh, tragically passed away, this awesome picture of Kobe, I think, from his rookie year, where he's wearing the number eight Lakers jersey, and there's a halo over his head, and it says, Legends Never Die, and that, to this day, is the best piece of artwork I've ever seen. (laughs) Hey, this is what happens when we go for an hour and 15, dude, I can't hold it in, I can't keep it professional. If anybody made it this far, the first person to tweet at us uh, saying we what is happening at the you. end of this episode yeah, tweet us your Venmo and we from, will Venmo from you. one of us. So, <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, please. Well, we just already uh, know that's going to be Where can they find us, mate? Uh, we can, uh, you can find us on Twitter at 44BrewPod. Uh, email's been kind of silent recently, much to my dismay, but you can email us <laughs> all of this as well at uh, footballenthusiast442 at gmail.com. And if you'd like to tweet at us your uh, your teams of the tournament, uh, as the way we put it out on uh, how we tweeted those pictures last week, we use an app called Lineup11. Uh, it's a free app on, I think, probably on any app store, so feel free to, feel free to download that and send us your teams of the tournament for us to discuss uh yes, boys another another great episode <laughs> all right uh all right, until kids, next time we'll see you signing later. off